It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges the paradigms and mindsets that hold us back. My guest on this edition um, is a former public school teacher who decided to leave the classroom in 2020 after years of watching a system fail students, parents, and teachers, including herself. After spending 17 years in the classrooms of Southern California, nine years in the high school level, eight years at the middle school level, she is intimately aware of what the issues are when it comes to teaching kids and why they're failing further and further behind. It goes without saying um, that right now we're in this environment, we keep hearing on the news where there are massive teacher shortages due to a variety of reasons. And she's here to share her insights, her experiences on how parents um, can benefit uh, from this challenging time in which we're going uh, through, especially in the educational sector. She joins us via Zoom from Mexico and she's Alison Maynard. Alison, welcome to the Time with Fred podcast today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure is all mine. So Alison, as we were talking before we started taping this, that there is there is a out there call it an epidemic of sorts that's going through, that's plaguing the United States right now, especially in the educational sector. COVID didn't make it any easier. I mean, some counties have reported teacher vacancies uh, with about two weeks left uh, to the reopening of schools. Your thoughts about that and, and why this is so passionate uh, to you? Well, you know, it's interesting what COVID did in the schools, like the issues were there. COVID just kind of pulled back the curtain and everybody could see what was wrong with when distance learning started and parents had to become involved in the process. And everybody started to see how everything was just, it's a house of cards. And after COVID and so many teachers who were just fed up with the system, the disrespect from parents, uh, the, the forcing to teach things they didn't want to teach based on district board approved curriculums that they had no say in contributing to, uh, the behavior of students has just, it's, it's spiraling downward very, very quickly. There's just a whole myriad of reasons that, um, I believe it's one in four teachers are actually considering leaving the profession. And it does not surprise me that so many, um, schools and school districts are having vacancies now. I know the state of Florida has approved a measure that um, military veterans can go teach in the classroom. Now, God bless, God bless our veterans. Thank you for your service. I don't know if a military veteran is qualified to teach third grade. Arizona is allowing people who don't even have a teaching credential. I believe they don't even need a bachelor's degree they can teach in classrooms now. So now you've got states trying to herd cats and figure out, okay, how are we going to contribute to these shortages? So even if you're sending your kids to school, which I understand, you know, a lot of people have to work and, and they rely on the school system, you know, to keep an eye on their kids and educate them. You know, parents need to start getting involved in the process more to help fill in those gaps that, that all of these compounding issues are contributing to. Now you, you spent 17 years, um, Allison, in the classroom, right? What has that made you decide to leave? Oh, it's, it's a whole bunch of issues. Um, some of the ones that I mentioned just a few seconds ago. Um, 
I, I was always the rebel teacher. I was always teaching differently because, you know, our district was very much um, lockstep with the pacing guide. And I just didn't think the content of the pacing guide really helped my students learn. So I figured out ways to teach them in ways that were engaging, that were still covering the standards. But I was in trouble all the time. I was in the principal's office constantly defending my practices. Why are you teaching this? Why are you talking about this? Why are the kids doing this? Why are you doing things out of order? So, you know, after 17 years of that, it gets tiring. Um, Add to the fact that I had a myriad of health issues. I had three surgeries for endometriosis in the period of about five years. And so, and then I had all of these other different health diagnoses um, on top of that. So in February of 2020, I was taken out on medical leave because I almost died after my third surgery. And so I needed some time to like recalibrate and I was only supposed to be out for a couple months, but my doctor made it very clear. I needed to keep my stress levels really low. Teaching is not conducive to a low stress level. And in that time while I was, so she kept me off for the rest of the year. And in that time while I was off work, I actually started to feel a little bit better. My sleep improved. I was able to spend time cooking meals, going for walks, doing things that I needed to do to like heal myself. And so I decided Um, actually it was the George Floyd situation that really was the catalyst. I mean, I had all of this backstory. I had been wanting to leave for like 10 years, but it just had never worked. But, um, I was watching an interview with these two kids and they were talking about like, we have the nation's attention. Things are changing. The time is now like, you know, and I was just so moved and inspired by those kids. I was like, you know what? The world is changing and I know I have talent and I know I have ideas. And if I stay in the classroom, that's never going to happen. So I wrote my letter of resignation the next day. And then I slept for a week because my body was like, oh my gosh, what did you just do? (laughs) We, we, there's often this conversation or, you know, topic that comes up about the the quality um, of of the educational system, especially uh, in American public schools. Having been or having been a teacher for, for all these years, what were some of the things that stood out, right? That um, kind of makes it so, so, so what makes this a, a, a predicament of sorts, right? So I'll dare say it is giving the teacher vacancies and, and the challenges that we're seeing in the schools. What were some of the things that you saw that, that made this, um, um, or I guess that brought this to light for you? Um, I think a lack of parent involvement, um, for one, because I think we have this old mindset that you send the kids to school, they get the information from the teachers, they come home and do some homework and then we're done and parents are completely hands off. And I think that's a huge issue. Um, the second one I think is the advent of social media. And, you know, teachers are fighting for the attention for kids who are constantly on YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, you know, whatever. And they're being, you know, they're watching videos of kids and and people doing, you know, really stupid things. Like some of the back to school challenges last year, like vandalize your school bathroom and slash the the tires of your teacher's cars. Those are two challenges I heard about. And 
you know, I read about schools that that was happening at, like, that's a huge concern because we have kids exposed to this stuff. Their brains don't understand what they're seeing because the prefrontal cortex does not fully develop until yeah, kids so, are about 25. Yeah. Now I heard there's re research that shows that that's uh, now it's in the forties actually for some people, I guess, because of social media, right? which, which is scary. I think Yeah, that's that actually petrifies me. And I really hope that's not true, but it would not surprise me at all. So you've got these two things. So when kids are on their phones all the time or on their devices, are they reading? No, they're not reading. They're passive. They're just engaging in passive activities. They're not learning how to interact with people. They're not learning how to identify their emotions. You know, they're not educating themselves and like improving skill sets like reading, writing, math, et cetera. They're just passively watching video after video and hoping they can become an influencer. So I think the parent involvement and, and the technology, social media aspect have been two huge shifts that I saw in my 17 years in the classroom, mm -hmm. for sure. Well, what can parents do? I mean, you, 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 you brought up a good point there, you know, about the, the hands-off, whether it's a school that's encouraging parents to be hands-off, whether the parents are so busy that they don't want to be involved. What should they do, given how things are, 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 are unfolding here, right? Given the, uh, the failure rates of, of students, you know, year after year, and been told no child left behind policies. What should parents do from, from, from your perspective? I mean, parents need to get involved in the process, and they don't even necessarily have to be dealing with what the schools are doing. They need to help establish a foundation for learning at home. And it can be really simple. It doesn't have to take a lot of time and it can be cost effective. And you know what? Sometimes it's even fun and engaging for the kids. And what, where I really am encouraging parents to start right now is by asking questions. Like, you know, when your kids go to school and you pick them up from school or you meet around the dinner table or whatever, and you go, how was school today? What's the most common answer? Good, Good, fine. Mm -hmm. So instead of asking him how was school today, you reframe that and say, "What was your favorite part of school mm. today?" Or uh, did something? What What happened that you didn't like today? Or what was your favorite class you went to? So by giving kids a more specific question, now you're starting to engage them. So you keep it simple. So you just start by asking the right questions, and you do it all the time as often as you can, because what starts to happen over time is the kids start to think about that stuff on their own. Right now, a lot of the kids' brains are kind of, they're kind of shut off because they're on their phones all the time. So you've got to start engaging them. And, you know, it's going to be hard at first. At first, the kids aren't going to want to do it. But over time, they'll start to answer the questions. And as a bonus, it starts to open up lines of communications between child and parent, especially at the adolescent age, because that's when the kids start to shut down and, you know, they're determining who they are as people and they don't necessarily want to interact with their parents very much. So if you start opening up those lines of, of communication with simple things like, you know, what was your favorite class today in school? When the important things or the scary things come up, the kids feel more comfortable talking about it. I, I like that. I, I like the re reframing part because I, we, we had, we had to do this actually for our, for our son um, in, in, in fourth grade um, where, you know, we'll, he'll come back from school and the question would be not how was school today, but, but let's talk about three things that went well. Um, 
you know, uh, to today, right? And so we're trying to get them to focus on the things that went well and not, you know, all the things that, you know, the boys did and know that was an old boys school. So, and that seemed to be helpful and one that um, we, we, we adopted really. And, and I think I, I, I dare say that even for, even for adults sometimes, right? That what we focus on, right? And, and not, there's so much distraction, you know, that, you know, giving everything that's happened here the past, you know, 24, you know, months or so, that it, it takes some intentionality, I think, um, to get us thinking the, the right way. Um, so yeah, I love, I love that reframing thing. We well, also take, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Really quick, uh, something else you can do is you can even tell the kids the questions you're going to ask, like, okay, so tonight at dinner, I'm going to ask you what three things did you like about today? Or what was something you didn't? So now the kids have a focus for the day and they mm -hmm. can actually think about it. Cause sometimes when we get those responses, like the, I don't know where the good or the fine it's because the kids haven't been prepared. So sometimes just preparing them in advance will also help them be able to focus on something and be able to answer those questions as well. I wouldn't do it all the time. I would switch back and forth between the two. I might start with the, you know, framing it in the morning and then, um, you know, over a few weeks then I might switch to ask, asking in the afternoon because then that way, then they understand like, okay, there's going to be conversations. I need to pay a little bit more attention to what's going around going on around me in school today. Yeah, I, I, I like that. So let's, let's talk a little bit about post public school teaching, right? What do you, what do you, I know you're in Mexico right now. Can you share a little bit about some of your initiatives and what you're doing now um, out of the conventional classroom setting? So after I resigned, I did not have a plan. <laughs> I had some ideas in the, in the quantum field, but they hadn't come into my head yet. Um, originally I was going to work one-on-one -on -one with pods cause that was really popular in California at the time, but I had a therapist who was, who said, Allison, you're really smart. You're really talented and you need to come up with something that you can do. So if you need to take time off work because of your health issues, you have income coming in and you need to help people because you're so, you're so smart. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do? So I, um, I came down to Mexico for a vacation. And I basically never left. I've been here since October of 2020. I travel up to California every once in a while to visit family and to take care of business. But I've been down here and this being down here has been so conducive to my healing journey. And it's also given me the mental capacity to be able to, to create what I'm creating, which is an online course specifically for parents. It's not for kids. It's for parents. And it's to give them the building blocks to help give their kids a foundation for learning. So it's based on four pillars of learning. We've got study skills and organization. We've got critical thinking and reading, writing, and mindfulness and emotional well-being. And my belief is that if a child has a, not even as a great understanding, but a basic understanding of all four of these things, if they can do some basic writing, some basic study skills, some basic critical thinking and reading, and some basic mindfulness, then they're going to be able to go into any classroom setting, whether it's homeschool or, you know, a traditional classroom environment, and they're going to be more successful because they're going to have the tools to be able to answer the questions to the story that the teacher has assigned, or they're going to be able to write the paragraph that their history teacher has asked them to do. Because what I found was that with the, with the curriculums that we are being mandated to teach, like they have us ask these kids to do all these things, but we haven't taught them the skill set. We haven't taught, and especially the kids nowadays, 
We haven't taught them how to study. They don't know how to read. They really don't know. How. I was teaching eighth grade and the kids came to me. They could barely write a sentence. I had to teach them how to write a sentence in a paragraph. But my pacing guide had me have them writing an essay the first quarter of the, of the school year. And I'm like, they can barely write a sentence or a paragraph. I'm not going to have them write an essay. It's going to totally turn them off to learning. So I, I really think it's up to the parents to really step in and help establish this foundation for learning. And then the kids, hopefully, and I do believe this to be true, will get more excited about learning. They're not going to be like, oh, I have to go to school. I have to do this homework because they don't know how to do it. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes in. It's not because they hate school. It's because they don't know how to do the things that are being asked of them in school and the schools aren't teaching them. So I think it's up to the parents at this point in time to step in and teach them. And I've created an online course doing just that. Yeah, I, I love that. I love those four um, building blocks, the study skills, the mindfulness, the critical thinking and the writing. I mean, you're as, as, as much as I had admitted, I mean, we see it. I mean, I, I work in the corporate setting and we see people come through um, who, you know, just some of who, you know, just finished just a high school education. And, and you see that some of these things are, are lacking, right? And you wonder, uh, it seeps into, you know, even the workforce, right? I mean, of course, there are those who, you know, are able to go to college and all of that. But even that, there seems to be a huge gap, right, with these in these four um, foundational blocks that, that you've mentioned here. Um, why these four, though? I mean, what, what, what made you identify these four as, as some of the most critical, or the most critical ones, I, I think, um, that, that you're you know, helping. These were, this was all curated over my 17 years of teaching. And these were the areas that I felt were really lacking in, in all of my students, both at the high school level and the junior high school level. Um, you know, I had kids who would really struggle with reading. I had kids, like I would ask them a question and they wouldn't even know how to answer it. Um, the mindfulness piece was really new. I only did mindfulness the last two, three years in my classroom, but the, the results that I saw with them in that short period of time were astounding. So I knew, and I think it's in, in certain ways, mindfulness and the emotional well-being is the most important because a kid can't study, they can't learn, they can't retain information. They can't critically think if they're stressed out or if they're sad. And because Traditionally speaking, we haven't taught kids how to identify their emotions and we haven't given them tools to be able to self-regulate. Like, no wonder there's so many issues with learning. I am happy to see that more and more schools are beginning to turn to mindfulness. My district was doing mindfulness, but it was like, all right, do it once a week. And I'm like, with any skill that you want to become an embedded habit, you have to do it over and over and repetition is key. So I would have my kids, my students, uh, the first two to three minutes of class, we would just do some breathing exercises. That was it, two to three minutes. And the difference that I would see in them in the days that we would breathe and the days that we didn't was, was remarkable. Like the kids were more focused. They were more engaged. They were able to tackle things better. And then my favorite part was all the students who would come in and start telling me stories Miss Maynard, I had a basketball game and I was super nervous, but I breathed and I went out and we won the game or I knew I was getting in trouble with my parents. And so instead of freaking out, I, I took some deep breaths and I went in and I sat down and we actually had a conversation. 
So I think the mindfulness piece is the big piece that's been missing for, you know, all of these years that really needs to be brought in. And I, I give some really simple, easy suggestions in my online course, just, just doing that. Here's what I think is a wake up call for, for, for us parents who have kids in schools who up until now, or, or still thinking that the responsibility um, of, of raising that child or developing that child rests 100% with, with the educational institutions. But I, I am starting to realize this is, this is, this is not. So I've had a, um, a number of guests, actually one in particular whose son, um, Lois Letchford, actually, who's you know, an, an author, uh, whose son um, was told by the teachers when he was really young that he wasn't going to amount to anything. He was done and all of that. And he took the kid, the kid out of school, his son out of school, and decided to, um, to homeschool. Uh, him, you know, just emphasizing on some of the things that she felt were lacking um, in the school system. And, you know, fast forward how many years later, his son actually, you know, got his PhD from, from Oxford University, right? And this is someone who was told by a teacher that he wasn't going to amount to anything, right? Had she not stepped in and um, decided to homeschool? Well, of course, and I know not everyone has that luxury, right, to homeschool their kid. So I'm, I'm, I'm cautious in saying this. You don't have to, but there are other things that I believe we can do, some of which you, you, you're talking about. Let, let's unpack that a little bit, Alison, because it's probably someone who's listening or watching and saying, well, I, I, I can't even afford it, right? I have two jobs, I have to go. I, there's really not much that I can do. Let, let's, let's kind of see what we can, let, let's help that person. Let's help answer that question for that, that parent uh, who is watching who has that, that question here. Or who well, thinking about that. I mean, the first, the first thing, that I tell people when I'm talking to them is that you don't, it doesn't have to take a lot of time. Asking questions can take less than five minutes. You can have a conversation with your child three, four, five times a day. You ask the question. And then the important part is asking them to explain why that doesn't take a lot. And if you do just doing that for three to six months, will will really help the kids because then because that's one of the things that we have to do in school we have to explain why and my kids never knew how to do it i had to teach them that so if parents start doing that that's a great place to start and it's really simple it's super simple doing some breathing exercises when your kids are getting stressed out you know you can easily youtube breathing exercises and i mean they're just a simple one is it's the box breath you take in four deep, you take in four breaths for, you take in a deep breath for a count of four, you hold it for a count of four, you release it for a count of four and you, you hold it for a count of four and you do that a few times. And so you get kids to calm down. Just those two things alone. Those are great suggestions for parents who feel really, really overwhelmed with the process. Yeah. I, I love that. Now, how about the, um, the, the example I shared earlier on where, you know, some of these narratives, right, or reports that come from the schools or whether it's a teacher, teacher who thinks that this kid is not going to amount to anything. How, how impactful are some of those things, right, and or some of those words and, and narratives and in determining that trajectory, right, of, of that kid? I mean, it's very, the w- words are very powerful. I mean, they call it spelling for a reason. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had students tell me things that were told to them by a teacher years prior that they still remembered. So, 
I mean, those kinds of statements are extremely impactful and I'm not defending it at all, but I can see a lot of teachers just in frustration and tiredness and anxiety, just like, you know, snapping out, saying things right now. And I know sometimes they don't mean to, but at the same time, like that can have an impact on, on children for decades, decades, like our body remembers it. And that's a type of trauma. Like, let's be honest, being told you're never going to amount to anything. It's a little T trauma. It's not a big trauma. It's a little trauma, but our body remembers that stuff. And our subconscious holds on to that stuff, especially the child's spine that is still developing and growing. So it's so important for parents also to, you know, be encouraging their children and to be doing, you know, things like affirmations, like, you know, I am strong, I am intelligent, you know, just to be building up that confidence, because I think a lot of kids today lack confidence. Yeah. Should, should there be uh, uh, some of that mindfulness, um, Allison, even for teachers? I, I remember I did a, a talk on uh, managing emotions, uh, a webinar. This was actually last year to a school in North Carolina, um, an elementary school. And we talked about dealing with stress, anxiety, realizing what some of these triggers are, and, and they, it was very well received, given the stress and everything else that teachers are going through uh, these days. How important is that, um, even for teachers, to kind of help maintain that, that equilibrium or balance, um, given what they have to deal with every day, educating our kids, you think? I think now more than ever, it's important that every teacher, every adult, like it doesn't, teacher firefighter, police officer, the president, whoever, everybody should have a mindfulness practice, whether it's, you know, taking a 10 minute walk outside in nature without any technology or a meditation practice. You know, there's all kinds of different things you can do. We've got to give our brains a break. We are just constant go, 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 go. That's how our society, that's capitalism. That's how our society has um, developed. And it's just, it's not healthy. Look how sick overall our society is. Everybody's stressed. Everybody's sick. Everybody's like, you know, constantly working. Nobody slows down. So I think, you know, even just a simple 10 minute, some sort of break somewhere in the day, whether it's when you wake up in the morning or at your lunch break or before you go to bed, like, I think it's crucial that everybody develops some sort of mindfulness practice to give their brains a break from the over-programming and the constant barrage of negative news that we're exposed to 24-7. Mm -hmm. Couldn't agree with you more there. Allison, let's share about, um, let's say we're running out of time here, but I wanted to share, um, talk a little bit about your, your website and the work that you do, perhaps as someone listening or watching who, like, man, this is what I need, right? How, how do they get in touch how do they learn about what you do? Um, how can they connect with you um, if, if, if they want to? Um, I have a website. It's uh, maynardsmindfulmatters.com. You can learn all about me, my teaching philosophy, um, how I used to teach my kids. There's links to my online course there as well, where you can learn all about the four pillars in more detail. Um, I'm also on social media, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook um, at Maynards Mindful Matters as well. So it's all the same. Well, make sure we have that captured in the show notes as well. Um, so abuse or, or, or listeners can uh, can have access to that. Allison, thank you so much for coming the, 
podcast. I mean, we could talk about this all day, but I felt like this was critical, especially pivotal, really, in the times that we are in right now, uh, with the challenges that educators are facing and, um, and and what you did. But just want to thank you for the passion, even though you're not in the conventional classroom setting, you're still doing a lot, which which shows how passionate you are um, about what you do. So I want to say thank you uh, for coming on and, and for sharing uh, some of these important things uh, with us. I mean, I've certainly learned some things about reframing the questions and not answering, asking some of those, you know, closed-ended questions, right? And also thinking seriously about the four foundational um, uh, frameworks that you talked about here of study skills, mindfulness, critical thinking, and writing. and parents we, we we can do it right we don't have to to quit our jobs we, we don't have to make this a full-time but with a little adjustments um here that allison have shared um in, in what we discussed we, we can certainly make an impact uh, and if it's one kit that would make an impact uh on that certainly um helpful but i want to just use this opportunity to, to thank teachers educators who are out there we're doing such a fantastic job in grappling with all these challenges. I mean, just like everybody else, right? The you know, firefighters, you know, health workers and all of that. But I want to say thank you. I mean, we're not saying this to be um, patronizing at all. We want to say thank you for the work that you're doing, um, giving everything else that we're having to, to, to grapple with. But thank you for that. And Allison coming on the podcast and sharing some of these nuggets with us. And to you, our viewers and our audience, we couldn't do this walk without you. But I want to say thank you to you as well. And until next time, stay well.